0: Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys, I'm Dr. Lawrence Tam. I'm Dr. Damian Christoph. And I'm Dr. Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives and today we have someone very, very special on the call. We have someone from the United States, Mark Sisson, who, uh, who's... Uh, has an incredible career. He's uh, 57 years old, and he is fit as anything. <laughs> Have you ever seen him? was just saying that so he would love to look like him. I think all of us would love to look like him uh, in, in any stage of our life. So, uh, Mark, welcome onto the call.
1: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, you guys.
0: Mark, uh, I know that uh, your career you started off, uh, you know, into triathlons and uh, and you, you know you you transitioned that into uh, into what you're doing now. You have a, a world class blog with millions of listeners called the Mark's Daily Apple. Uh, you have a website called markdailyapple.com as well, and you got several books. I mean, you got uh, you know Primal Blueprint fit uh, and also. By, Primal Blueprint Fitness, and also a new book that just came out about a month ago, 21 Days uh, Total Body Transformation. Uh, tell us a little bit about you know where you come from, how you got started, and how, how did you get to where you are now?
1: Yeah, well, I've always been interested in fitness and health, uh, even at a very early age, um, probably abnormally early. I was interested in seeing how I could um, increase my performance and manipulate uh, my body composition uh, from the age just early early teens. Read a lot, uh... uh you know, devoured the, the the little information that there was on how to do that um, in the literature and uh, started uh, with a, uh, a sort of a, a scrawny uh, type body. I, I didn't have the genetics to be a, a football or basketball or baseball player in the U.S., so I, I wound up uh, gravitating toward distance running. And in those days, I read Ken Cooper's book on aerobics that said that all the All the aerobic activity that you did contributed to your uh, positive health and longevity, that you'd get points for the more uh, aerobic activity or cardiovascular activity that you did. So I thought, well, hey, I like points, what the heck, I'll, I'll see how many I can accumulate. And I started to run more and more miles. And I also paid attention to the conventional wisdom at the time, which said that you had to fuel all of this activity with a complex carbohydrate based diet <laughs> So here I was doing all these things that everybody said you need to do to be healthy and lean and strong and fit and get the body composition where you needed it and I was running lots of miles and I was lifting weights and I was eating grains healthy whole grains and all of this good stuff and I got pretty fast I got to be to, to uh, you know to the point where I was an elite uh, marathoner I finished fifth in the US national championships in 1980 and eventually went on to finish fourth in the, in the um, Hawaii Ironman. Wow. Um, but, you know, I was, on the outside, I was sort of a picture of fitness. On the inside, I was kind of killing myself. Uh, it turned out I had osteoarthritis. I had chronic tendonitis in my hips. I had irritable bowel syndrome and, and all kinds of gastrointestinal issues. I had upper respiratory six or eight times a year. Um, I was really a wreck. And ultimately, my my athletic career ended because of the injuries and the illnesses and the inflammation that I was suffering um, quite early at the age of 28. And from that point on, I said, you know what, this this whole conventional wisdom thing isn't working. I'm going to start looking into ways to achieve a lean, fit, strong, healthy body with the least amount of pain and suffering and sacrifice necessary. And that really led me into this Uh, lifelong um, pursuit of finding ways that we can access uh, gene expression, that we can control gene expression so that we can turn on the genes that build muscle, turn on the genes that burn fat, turn off the genes that cause inflammation, type 2 diabetes, arthritis and all these other things that afflict us. And it really, um, just in the last 10 years, has coalesced into this life way that I call the primal blueprint, which looks at two and a half million years of human evolution and how humans evolved to to the point where today we are all born with this wonderful recipe, a genetic recipe for a perfect, healthy, strong, lean, fit, productive body. And yet, somehow, we all seem to screw it up. Stuff it up, don't and, we? Uh, it's
2: just unbelievable. It's such yeah. a good point. I don't mean to interrupt at all, Mark. But uh, you no. know, in Australia at the moment, we're looking at doing a lot of nutrigenomic testing. So we're now testing people's genes to match the right um, nutrients and lifestyle for them, which is, I think, a, a clever step. We've spoken a lot about um, Dr. Bruce Lipton's um, work. He talks about spontaneous evolution and the ability of the uh, of the genes to be regulated by your behaviour and your environment, which which is exactly what you're talking about at the moment, uh, which I absolutely love. And when I, I've done a lot of work with uh, elite triathletes and Ironman triathletes with their nutrition, and the one thing I asked them to do is to drop all of their processed rubbishy carbs, get rid of those carb gel things, and you know, get rid of all those sugary based electrolyte drinks, and and really just get it back to normal, get it back to natural. And uh, and uh, you know, you're a living example that this actually works.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting you bring up. Uh your work with triathletes, and I'm I'm actually working with a Tour de France cyclist right now, mm-hmm. who uh, who tried a year of going vegetarian, oh, and it dear. didn't work for him. Jeepers! Oh, so are going, we know, well, we all know about that guy because he was all the Yeah, engineers. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So anyway, he's he's going primal this year. Great. Um, but <laughs> excellent. The, but the bottom line is, and, and, it's, and it's sort of um, germane to what we're talking about we are all born with a factory setting that wants us to be efficient fat-burning organisms. Yes. Um, you know, human, human genes, the recipe for this, for this healthy human that we have inside of us, wants us to derive most of our energy on a day-to-day basis from our stored body fat or from dietary fat. But because we have such access to tra- crappy carbs and, and processed foods, we, we literally reprogram our genes from an early age to depend on a regular supply of sugar. And that's why people have this you know, mantra that they have to eat every couple of hours <laughs> or else they'll have low blood sugar or they'll or fall die. apart or just, you know, they'll start to cannibalize their muscle tissue. Well, the Primal Blueprint is really about reaccessing that factory setting, reprogramming your genes to derive most of your energy from your stored body fat. And the, and the highest iteration of that is with a triathlete or a marathon runner because the more you can perform at a high output and burn fat versus glycogen, the better off you are in a competitive situation. Absolutely.
2: It, it's such a great point. There was, a, um, there was an awesome book written, it must be nearly 20 years ago, by a bloke by the name of Philip Maffetone. Do you remember reading his book?
1: Was, oh, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Phil and I go way back. Um, you know, we, 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 have a saying here, we went to different high schools together. Um, we've never <laughs> met, but, uh, you know, we've, we've been in the same circles and worked with the same athletes,
3: yeah.
1: uh, using the same sort of principles and his, his, his major principle, which is, you know, train low and race high, yeah. you know, you train, if you, if you train for endurance sports, you're better off training at a heart rate, at a submax heart rate, most of the time to develop this ability to burn fat. Because as soon as you go over a threshold and you start to tap in your glycogen reserves, you sort of switch that fuel partitioning over to a reliance once again on sugar, and that's not a good thing.
2: That's a disaster. And he actually says in this book, In Fitness and in Health, which I read, it must be, must be 15 years ago, he says in this book that, uh, and it was, just, it was more of a reminder to me, that uh, in the Krebs cycle, which not many people listening to this call will know what that's about, but that's the cycle in which people will burn carbohydrate fuel and access their energy through carbohydrates. One of the offshoots to the Krebs cycle is, of course, lactic acid buildup, which you don't get when you eat fat or you're burning fat. And, uh, and so making that point where if we can train and exercise and perform on fat as opposed to burning carbohydrate fuels, of course we're going to do better.
1: Yeah. And, and of course, this, this applies to the average person walking on the street who needs to lose body fat as well. Yeah. So it doesn't just apply to elite athletes. This is true for people and this is where we get most of our results from the general population is reprogramming the body to selectively derive most of its energy from stored body fat rather than having to eat a meal every couple of hours. With that ability, you get this luxury of going hours without feeling hungry and without having to eat. Yeah. And every time that happens, you wind up relying more on your stored body fat as a source of energy rather than accumulating these calories from from uh, always say less than healthy foods yeah
4: yeah and i guess mark this is where some of your ideas around fitness start to come in as well because because you obviously talk a lot about the exercise and you talk particularly a lot about doing a lot of low intensity exercise so doing sort of longer slower mm. stuff um, do you want to talk a little bit about about why that is
1: absolutely first of all there's two points the first of which is that one of the greatest epiphanies i had and i think a lot of other people had it before me but i had to kind of Work, work hard to get this epiphany is that eighty percent of your body composition happens as a result of how you eat. You cannot exercise away a bad uh, diet. Eighty percent of that of you which is muscle versus fat happens as a result of how you manipulate hormones and gene expression through the foods you eat. And that's really the empowering thing about this whole program is that by selecting the right kinds of foods you can reprogram their genes. But the other, you know, point too is that exercise should never be about burning calories. It's about the movement. So once you once you get that out of your mind, and once you can understand that walking becomes as legitimate an exercise as jogging or or running at 80% of VO2 max for an hour and a half, um, it's a legitimate form of movement that causes certain types of gene expression uh, that that create. Uh, functional changes in the body. You don't have to go out and, and burn calories every time you go out and, and train. Most of that calorie burning thing and that fat burning concept happens as a result again of how you how you reprogram your genes through your diet. So when you understand that, then it unburdens you of having to work out all the time. You say, Well, I'm just gonna find ways to move. I don't have to lace on the the Nikes and go out for a ten miler. I can park a mile away from work and walk the rest of the way or I can Get off at the train station, you know, an earlier train stop, and walk to work. Yeah. I can take a, a a lunch break with my coworkers and go for a walk. I can hike on the weekends. I don't have to go out and sweat and and grunt and and strain and grind it out because it's not about burning calories. It's about just finding ways to move. Yeah, it's good and in my life. My life, you know, what what I try, strive for is I find ways to play. You know, how can I take those those. There's little bits of time that I do train hard in the gym, you know, twice a week for anywhere from 17 minutes to 35 minutes, uh, doing sort of a full-body routine. Once a week, doing some form of a high-intensity sprint routine. But everything else I do is, is I try to find ways to incorporate that into play. I do some stand-up paddling. You know, I'm going to go snowboarding for a week next in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> um, I play Ultimate Frisbee. I try to find ways to incorporate fun and play into my exercise activity and once again, once I realize that I don't have to count the calories and I don't have to give it some value because I work so damn hard, it's just about the movement.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's
2: good. I like actually that you carry water bottles on the beach. I think that's uh where do you find those oh, water yeah, bottles on the beach? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not going to live that photograph down for a long time.
2: <laughs> it's a good photo, but uh, yeah. yeah, but you're right. It's the incidental movement, and uh, in chiropractic, all, all three of us, Mark, uh, we're we're all chiropractors, so um, we often talk about that incidental exercise, the incidental movement, um, but the specific incidental movement being, you know, I suppose present in the movement, that, the movements that you're making, uh, so as to create uh, good postures and to create a good body and, and health. So it, 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 you are I would say that that's spot on.
1: Well and to to take that one step further if you're talking about good posture I think it's better off to walk barefoot you know than to run in traditional running shoes. Yeah. Um it, for, in terms of posture in terms of you know the whole neuromuscular effect of, of and the haptic sense that your feet have of of adjusting your uh, shock absorption naturally through your body rather than depending on some you know four foot motion control rear foot stabilizer to um, to bypass your feet and send all of that shock up in your lower back. So walking barefoot um, is, is a better exercise than going out for a, for a run for a lot of people.
2: That's right up your alley, bread, isn't it? That's Yeah, what you're I love
4: that stuff, Mark, because I actually spend all day, every day, 24 hours a day, either barefoot or in my barefoot shoes and just love it. Um, and I've found just a huge change for me, particularly my running, changing from from running shoes into barefoot shoes has just made such a difference in my output, in my performance, in my recovery. Uh, it's just been a huge transition.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a an important distinction to make that, you know, if you're currently a runner and you decide to start getting into some minimalist shoes, don't go out for a seven-miler the first day. You know, <laughs> exactly what I did. Sorry, pardon me.
4: That's, that's exactly what I did. My calves were killing me the next day.
1: Yeah, well, you're lucky it was only your calves because I've seen guys with plantar fasciitis and... You know, strained Achilles because they just—it sounded like a good idea. So, <laughs> what the heck? We'll go. You know, we'll we'll take it on the same aggressive way that we take on everything we do.
4: Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what I did. So, Mark, I, I hope you don't mind me sharing your age here, but uh, but you're actually 57 years old. Is that correct?
1: I'm 58 and a half right now. Yeah.
4: Yeah, eight and a half. So. Well, I thought it would be really great to talk to you a little bit about aging because, you know, I find that in our society, people have these ideas around aging and around what's normal aging. And uh, and clearly, uh, when I have a look at you and I look at what you're able to do and the photos of you obviously looking pretty buff, that the sort of aging you're doing is different to the sort of aging that a lot of people in our population are doing. So I thought it would be great for you to give us some insights into you know your thoughts around aging.
1: Well... I guess my thoughts are aging. First of all, centered around the fact that my brain never got away from being a 17-year-old.
3: <laughs>
1: so, so, you know, it really is true that if you think young, uh, attitude is is such a huge part of of youth, and to try and maintain that youthful spirit is is critical. And I think when I was growing up, you know, 58 was almost dead, and and things have changed a lot in the in the decades since that happened. And I uh, it's been um, an important uh, revelation to me that movement, once again, it's not about uh, grinding it out and, and, and maintaining a marathon style training throughout my entire life because I'd be crippled now. In fact, a lot of my contemporaries from the 70s when I was running marathons have had hip replacements yeah. or they've had defibrillators or you know, they've had heart issues and heart transplants. It's crazy. Yeah. I, I gave that stuff up in favor of doing literally the least amount of hard work that it, whatever it took to, to, to maintain or to get the, the, the best benefits, you know, show me the most efficient way to maintain muscle mass and tone and then set me loose to have fun, to go out and play. And I, and I really think that that's my secret is that I try to find ways to incorporate the little bit of hard training I do into, uh, into elements of play and, and, Keep that youthful spirit. That's that's number one. Number two, you know, vitamin D and sunlight can't be overstated. I, I I'm a big fan of getting uh, as much sun as I can without burning. Um, I think it's important to, to health in general. It's certainly important to longevity. And some people say, "Well, you know, you your your face looks a little weathered." Well, um, that may be the case, but you can wear a hat. And you can wear sunscreen <laughs> on your face. Yeah, there yeah, are, there are know. workarounds for that.
4: Absolutely, and I think that play thing is so important because I think you know, as little kids, we see kids just playing all the time, and they're just super fit. They run around, they have great posture. They you know they do everything right. They squat well, you know, because but they're just playing. They're just doing it as part of their daily activity, and I think we lose that as we get older. So I think that's a really important point.
1: Well, and you know, the, the, I think the one of the sort of common themes throughout the whole ancestral health movement in the last year has been sitting is death. You know, and and. Um, We've started to recognize that we spend so much time sitting in front of a computer uh, shortening our hip flexors and shortening our, our uh, Achilles and and every other muscle group in our body. And, and it's literally causing us to, to shrivel up and, and die. And, yeah. you know, um, one of you who, I, I forget which ones, you know, said you spend as much time as you can standing up all day. Um, the whole concept of the stand-up desk now is great. If you're in a work environment and you can't do that, try to arrange to where you can get up every 15 or 20 minutes and walk around the office a little bit, or just do some form of, you know, do, do 10 air squats or something to break up the monotony, but um, I think we've put ourselves, many of us have put ourselves into a work environment that is, that is not helping us at all in terms of our health and our longevity.
2: Oh, that's that's very true. Uh, you know, we see that. I, I don't know about the, uh, the other guys, but uh, we use the the big fit balls as our seats, so that you're not actually tempted to sit in there for a long time, so you don't develop a, a poor posture over a longer period of time. So our workspace in our office is uh, is very much all about standing up and walking around and movement. And uh, and if you have to sit down, which we do need to to you know to give somebody uh, some care to their cervical spine, we actually need to sit down. So uh, it, you know in doing that, I use uh, one of those fit balls, one of those big round bouncy balls and my, my front desk girl uh, she actually has one of those balls as well if she chooses to sit down she can sit on that but not a chair
1: yeah I have three employees at work that uh, that have done nothing but stand at their desks for the last uh, probably eight months now and they love it that's it's, awesome uh, you know it's, and these are people that you would never have guessed would embrace it so wholly but they said they you know they're, they're, they they work for me they they read everything I write they go what the heck we'll try it and and they love it that's gold
4: yeah, absolutely. And that standing is great. You know, there's lots of research out there talking about the improved performance, the improved attention span that you can get from actually standing up rather than sitting down. Because it's not just how it affects your body, it's actually how it affects your brain. The yeah. movement of your spine particularly really stimulates your brain and makes that function properly. It's super important.
1: And it's all primal. I mean, you know, we didn't have chairs or sofas uh, or, or even, you know, uh, raised beds for that matter until about a thousand years ago.
0: Mark, um, you also had. Uh, I know you founded a nutritional company as well, and, and you, you know, you, you obviously promote a little bit of nutritional supplementation. What are some of the things that you would recommend people to take as a, you know, for everybody to that they definitely need in their daily life, and why?
1: Well, um, you know, I, I, I first of all want everybody to kind of dial the diet in first. That's the that's crucial. You, you can't get the results unless you've really handled the essential elements of the macronutrients and and many of the micronutrients through your eating choices. But beyond that, um, my belief is that if you want to access the highest level of of wellness possible, uh, certainly we talk about vitamin D. We just mentioned it a little while ago. Mm. Uh, A lot of people around the world don't have access to sunlight to create the vitamin D that's so critical to health. So vitamin D supplementation is a very inexpensive way uh, to get vitamin D and to cover that base. Uh, We've we've talked a lot in the whole ancestral, primal, paleo world about the balance between omega-6 and omega-3 fats, Mm. the fact that omega-6 tend to be pro-inflammatory and omega-3s tend to be anti-inflammatory. Most of us have a tough time getting that balance right. We tend to overeat the omega-6. I'd prefer that you reduce your omega-6 intake, but in the event that you can or you've done all you can and still aren't there. I think it's wise to supplement with omega-3 fats that come from fish oil, so I make uh, an omega-3 fatty acid product. Yeah, so definitely,
2: um, that's. A, I mean, that's a great point. Could we just go back to that, just really quickly, Mark? Um, I we have spoken about uh, on the calls before um, that it's not good enough to go and get your omega-3s from flaxseed or chia seed, and there's a number of obvious reasons for that. Could you elaborate why fish is so good?
1: Yeah, well, basically, the the two critical elements that we're looking for in the human body are EPA and DHA. Yep. Uh, And those are fractions of omega-3 fatty acids uh, that are found in fish. When you take flax or chia, you're getting alpha linoleic acid, which is a precursor to both of those but require an enzymatic uh, intervention by the body, by the liver. And in, in a lot of people it doesn't happen as effectively or as efficiently as we like so you really you can take in a lot of this alpha-linolenic alpha acid and you cannot do the conversion to enough EPA or DHA to provide the kind of health benefits that you may be seeking and you know we could do a whole discussion on what what a polyunsaturated fatty acid is in the first place because these are both uh, omega-6 and omega-3 are are relatively unstable and subject to oxidation you, you want to try and keep the intake of all PUFAs as low as possible, yeah. including omega-3s. Um, so you don't want to be taking in a lot of flaxseed oil thinking that you're doing yourself a favor when, in fact, you're not deriving the same kind of rich benefit that you would be getting from straight fish oil or even krill oil. Mm, mm.
4: Awesome. Some great points there, Mark. And look, Mark, I know that uh, I'm going to give some of your other books a little bit of a plug here because often what I find is that when we're trying to help people convert across to more of a primal eating pattern, um, they can find it really challenging at first. You know, it's kind of that idea of, well, what, what can I actually eat? Um, and two of the resources I use quite a lot in my practice are actually your two cookbooks, the Primal Blueprint Cookbooks, um, just because they're fantastic. They have really great recipes in them um, and they actually... They actually look great, so you, you flick through the pages, and rather than, I know, some health cookbooks, you flick through the pages and think, oh, yeah, okay, well, I guess it's good for me. <laughs> you know, your cookbook, you actually flick through and go, hey, that looks delicious, and I think probably the, the peachy chicken salad you have in there is probably currently my favorite meal. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, um, you know, we, we've got salmon burgers in there and a, and a, and a bunch of things that are just, uh, they really appeal to a lot of people. In fact, that's one of the one of the interesting things that I hadn't really... Um, thought so much about until we put the book on the market, and that's exactly that. That these are these are good standalone meals. These aren't just oh healthy meals; that will suffice in the absence of some you know rich decadent uh, alternative. These meals stand alone as as fantastic meals. We have a three-day event uh, up in uh, in California here in Oxnard called Primal Con every year, and I prepare or I have a chef, but I mean we pre- we prepare all the meals for the, the guests for three days. And at the end of those three days, invariably, just about everyone comes up and says, God, I had no I mean, I love eating Primal anyway, but those were the best meals I've ever had in my life. So this is one of the, um, the, the features of a Primal Blueprint eating style, is that if you understand that it's okay to get rid of grains and drop the omega-6 seed oils and the industrial oils and cut back on the sugar and the high-fructose corn syrup, you will still have wonderful alternatives. There's a whole list of meat, fish, fowl, eggs, nuts, seeds, vegetables, some fruit that you can eat as much as you want whenever you want as long as you avoid that small list of bad guys.
3: Mm.
0: Well, Mark, you you talk a lot about, um, I mean, getting rid of grains and everything, but I remember watching um, an interview with you and you talked about how, talking about carbs, that we really don't need carbs as humans. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's no requirement for what we call you know essential carbohydrates uh, in the human body. You, you can't live without fat uh, or protein, but you can live uh, a long and, and, uh, and healthy uh, life thriving without carbohydrates. So mm. the body makes 150 grams of glucose per day from fat and carbohydrate through a, a process known as gluconeogenesis. And that's, in fact, how our ancestors for about 2 million years got through long, long periods of either no food or low-carbohydrate uh, uh, eating periods. And, and we retain that wonderful ability that our genes carry, but it, has to, it takes a little bit of time to kind of reorient the genes and reprogram the genes to be able to handle this gluconeogenesis and to be able to, uh, to become what we call fat-adapted and even keto-adapted. Uh, when you become keto-adapted, you literally unburden the body, and particularly the brain, from a requirement for that much glucose in the first place. So you can literally re- you can reduce your your glucose requirements to 40 or 50 grams a day, and knowing that your liver can make 150, you're 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 well covered.
2: Well covered. It's, it's a good point. I like that term, keto-adapted. I really like that. That's, uh, that's great. And fat-adapted, that's fantastic. One of the things that uh, come across me just then was, uh, and certainly not for me because I can go without food for a long period of time. The last time I ate food was about nine hours ago. But um, what I find people tend to do is they tend to graze through the day because they're a bit scared of being hungry. Some people get hungry and go into panic and go, oh my gosh, I'm hungry, I might die. Um, Other people actually uh, get to the point in the day, it could be 3.34 o'clock in the afternoon and go, oh my gosh, I'm going to have low blood sugar and because I'm going to have low blood sugar, I better get myself a chocolate bar. And they set themselves up in this uh, cycle where they're in in a world of pain without really knowing it and they're creating all these diseases. Have you got a strategy to help people out with that sort of thing, Mark?
1: Um, well, funny you should ask, because that's what the 21-day <laughs> total body transformation is all about. the
2: um, it, takes,
1: it takes about 21 days to, change habit. Uh, to, to, to reprogram your genes yeah. away from depending on sugar. We, we nice. call it being a sugar burner toward relying on stored body fat, um, and that's the fat adaptation that we talk about. It takes about 21 days to do that. In fact, most of it happens within the first week or 10 days. After which, if you if you've kind of followed the plan, and we tell you in this book exactly what to do every day for 21 days, um, at the end of that, you will get to the point where uh, you can go long periods of time a, a day without eating and not suffer any consequences, um, feel completely uh, energized, and uh, you know c- uh, clear thinking, and have have uh, you know the, the the great mood that you started the day out with. Um, those are all. That's a really empowering aspect of this whole primal blueprint eating strategy. And if you think about our ancestors who didn't have three square meals a day for most of their lives, in fact, it was, it was really always a crapshoot as to when the next meal was going to happen. Was it going to happen by the end of the day or three days from now? Mm. So th- this ability that we have to, to become fat-adapted and keto-adapted, we just have to train it just like we train in the gym, just like we train on the track
4: wow that's great yeah, i mark. like that mark because uh because i'm someone who's often been criticized or you know people often say to me you know i don't actually eat three square meals a day like it, it's not uncommon for me sometimes to just be busy and go right through lunch and get to the end of the day and, and you know just skip that middle meal um but, I, but you, I don't feel you, hungry i don't feel like i'm crashing or starving or anything of that, that nature
1: no if you've if you've trained yourself to become fat adapted. Um, there's zero impact. I mean, I'll ask you, you know, do you lose weight doing that? Do you do you cut no. into muscle mass? Do you, no. you know, do you fear that you're becoming emaciated or starved? No. <laughs> no. In, in fact, it becomes, again, also very liberating and a little bit eyebrow-raising when you kind of realize, wow, I can, I can maintain my strength and my muscle mass on far fewer calories than I ever thought was required to do this when I was a carbohydrate-burning machine.
0: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah,
0: well, Mark, that's uh, just great insights there. Because I mean, really, you're you're talking about going with our genetics and really going with our genes and transforming it and and working from there, and then picking the foods that goes along with that. So uh, you know, those are just great insights. I really encourage all the listeners to go check out uh, Mark's website. It's Mark's dailyapple.com I'll put the link uh, below this podcast but I mean go get his books I mean he's got you know he's a New York Times bestseller here Um, we got several books uh, with the Primal Blueprint but also the new book that just came out the 21 day total body transformation I just bought it yeah, <laughs> I, I did. I bought it. While we we're online. I just bought it just then. <laughs> got to go do it. Yeah. And so, and get the cookbook. I mean, it's got some amazing recipes in there, and uh, you know, definitely some great stuff. And you know, there's no more excuse of saying that uh, it's challenging to go uh, primal. So, to, so Mark, really appreciate for your time um, and, and for being on this call, and really for the, the insights that you've given us to all our listeners. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, so hopefully. Let's let's go
1: change the world. Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, uh, as always, guys. uh Join us each week on thewellnessguys.com. Leave your comments below and let us, t- let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about Mark and um, his book. If you read his book or have tried any of his recipes, tell us what your favorite recipes are. And so, so that, you know let everybody else know that they, so you can try it out themselves. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, sign up for each notice of each episode, and download us on iTunes. So until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guys Show.